You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, You can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we got a good one. Uh, The man, the myth, the legend, the public land deer slayer, Mr. Tony Peterson, is back on the podcast, and it's a fun one. I mean, they're always fun when I get a, uh, you know, I get to talk to Tony. The dude is my exact age, I believe. He has kids. He's married. He likes to hunt. He's a outdoor content creator, so we have a lot in common, and I think that makes uh, these episodes. <laughs> these we grew up in the '80s, uh, and so uh, it makes these episodes really fun. I it, let me kind of kind of preface this conversation that we had, and 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 sometimes things get taken out of context, and and I want to prepare you guys for the bitch session that I have leading up to this uh leading up into this episode i and and i'm sure everybody listening can relate i had one of those days where the family was not in sync uh we were we were not on the same page me and my wife were at odds with each other my kids were just god bless their souls but they were not listening to me. They were fighting. And so it all kind of boiled over onto <laughs> up into my office, onto the podcast. Uh, usually I do a an okay job. I always complain a little bit and bitch a little bit, but usually I do an okay job uh, kind of separating work from uh, personal life. But uh, this episode I did not. <laughs> so just a bit of a warning there, but... Um, if I get a lot of I get a lot of comments basically saying like, hey Dan, I, I can definitely relate to what you're going through. I have kids myself, uh, you know, I'm I'm married and, and things like that, and so I really do appreciate it. I really do love my kids, and uh, I love my wife. And uh, sometimes you get in arguments, and sometimes things don't go well. But it's how you 
handle that and how you come out of it that uh, um, is the strength behind the family. And so uh, uh, that's that's something that I got to work on every single day. Now, I just watched a YouTube video. I don't really even know who who built it or who made it, but it was about some guys hunting deer and mule deer and whitetails in South Dakota. And it got me fired up. And I mean, I like, I'm, I'm, I hit it today for some reason, the, the, the flip has been switched. And now my mind is like starting to get ramped up for the upcoming season, man. And I am fired up. Um, my bow is shooting. I mean, it sounds like nothing. I mean, it's really efficient. Cams have been tuned, new strings put on, arrows refletched, and I'm shooting darts. Like, I've been practicing out at 60 yards, and I, I'm going to say this. I'm not, like, dialed in 100% at 60, but I'm telling you this. I'm hitting a paper plate at 60 every single time, and uh, I am... Dude, I'm excited about that. I shot broadheads too. Usually I, I shoot broadheads all year round, but when I went with the, um, when I got my arrows redone and a new string on my bow, I went back and uh, put field points on on the, all my arrows. So um, I shot a couple broadheads last night. They're flying ridiculously good. And, uh, you know, usually at 60 yards, if you pay attention to the arrow, you can see if there's any, you know, tail, tail movement, or if the fletchings are doing their job and my arrows, man, they look straight. They are, they look like they're flying straight. And that means that they're, it's an efficient setup and I'm hammering the target and I can hear it thwap, thwap, thwap at 60 yards. And, uh, man, that's a good sign. Now all I got to do is do that to a mule deer in South Dakota and a white tail in, um, Iowa. And I'm really hoping this year, I would love this year to be a multiple state year to where I have success in South Dakota, I have success in Iowa, and and or another state. Like, I really would love to, to go to another over-the-counter state. I mean, I got three of them that border me. Uh, here in Iowa and so I could go take advantage of something close or I could make another big trip maybe down to Oklahoma or or out even further east uh, Ohio or something like that and you know that's 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 still on the table but again I'm coaching fall baseball I am man I might be coaching soccer I'm not 100% sure yet so yeah who knows what's going to happen, but I'm really looking forward to this upcoming season, man. I'm starting to get fired up, but yep, yep, yep. So uh, what are we going to do today? We're going to talk with Tony Peterson. Uh, before I get into today's episode, though, I'm going to run through all the sponsors real quick, um, and then I'm going to get back probably next week into some court, uh, sort of rotation with him. But uh, real quick, man, I uh, my buddy Josh Hilliard, he just got hired on at uh, uh, at Tethered. So I guess that's public news now. I don't know what that means to you, but it's pretty cool. Tethered, uh, if you're looking for saddle, saddle hunting accessories and and a really good educational platform on how to become a better saddle hunter, go check out tetherednation.com. If you're looking for, and this is my opinion, some of the best manufacturer, I mean, most of their heads are made in America. Some of the best broadheads on the market, both mechanical and fixed blade, wasparchery.com. I do have a discount code and it is NFC20 and that's going to save you 20%. 
Vortex Optics. I'm telling you, great people, great products, and that's why they're damn near number one, if not number one in their space, man. Uh, they are participants in in their category, which means that not only do they sell a product, but they're the people who work there and um, uh, like run the company. They are hunters. They're sport shooters. They're you know op gun and outdoor enthusiasts. And so when you have that mixture, man, it just turns out really good. And uh, go check out one of the latest episodes of the Hunting Gear podcast that I did. Uh, with Mark Boardman from Vortex about all the new products that they've launched within the last year. Uh, next on the list is, and one that I'm really looking forward to, is Code Blue. Uh, Code Blue is a, uh, a scent company, and they have not only like uh, scent elimination sprays and stuff like that, but the thing that I'm really looking forward to is uh, working with their mock scrape kit. I'm looking forward to getting some mock scrapes set up this year within shooting range of some of my tree stands and, and hopefully it brings the big boys in to investigate so i'm going to be messing around with uh, mock scrapes uh, code blue sense.com discount code nfc20 for 20 percent off uh, woodman's pal habitat tool it's been around since 1941, made in America. When you hold it in your hand, you can tell it's durable. It's like a machete, and then it's got a little hook on the back end. Uh, go to uh, woodmanspal.com, check it out. Uh, it's definitely something that I'm going to be keeping in my truck and in my pack uh, this season, especially uh, as a mobile hunter. And then last but not least, Huntworth, baby. Um, the, the more that I get to know these people here at Huntworth, the more that uh, I really do... Uh, enjoy working with them they're great they're great people regular people and uh, there there's no egos at that company it's just people who want to make the best hunting product for the most affordable price and that's Huntworth so uh, go check out Huntworth's website and look in on all their camel patterns and all their um, temperature like all the different variations of temperature gear that they have and uh, read up on that and that ladies and gentlemen brings us to the end of the commercial block I really do appreciate you guys listening uh, to that because that's how I pay my bills and, and that's how this stays free this all this stuff stays free so good vibes in good vibes out have a good 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 weekend uh, when you're listening to this I'm going to already be in Florida uh, hitting the beach and hanging with a fam uh, before school starts and uh, then it's back to the whitetail woods after that man and I'm, 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 I'm fired up for it so good vibes in and we'll catch you on the back end three two one ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another Tony Peterson edition episode of the nine finger chronicles my friend how are you doing today i'm doing good buddy how are you i'm doing good i'm doing good you know you know there's days where someone says hey tony how you doing and you say hey i'm good but then on the inside you're like man fuck this day like <laughs> i know that yeah i feel like you have that going on right now yeah a little bit of that i got a little bit of that going on right now where i literally want to leave my house and just drive until my gas tank is empty and then walk back home. If that, like, I don't know if anybody's ever had those feelings before, but I, that's kind of like what I'm, I'm, I'm going through right now. What, uh, why? What's going on, buddy? Being married is 
extremely hard. It is it is a hard thing, and I don't know when this whole shit went from cavemen to being like, oh, I'm a man, I'm gonna bang all these, you know, I'm I'm gonna do whatever I want, whenever I want, I'm the dominant species, to I feel like we should get married and spend the rest of our lives together. Like when did that when did that all happen? I'm not a history nut, but I feel like that's just saying, listen, hey gasoline, you should get married to the this this book of matches. That is what being married is like. Two completely different things forced to live or not forced, but like that live together that any moment could just destroy an entire neighborhood. Well, I don't want to sound like a total prick, yep. but my uh, gut reaction there is the idea of marriage either came from women mm-hmm. or really, I don't know, either, but it feels like one of those two sources brought it into our lives. Yeah. Anyway, uh... <laughs> that's it. That's all you got. Well, I, I mean, I just, at this point, just me, it's just me bitching about things. It's just me bitching. And I'm like. I don't want to bitch about anything anymore yeah. today. Well, but, well before, before you stop bitching, do you, do you finally realize, because you, you and I are about the same age here. Yep. I, I'm to the point now where I'm like, I get it why like 55 year old dudes are pissed at the world. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And here's the person who I'm in a way the most pissed at is my dad and <laughs> my uncle's. Or my grandparents, or my grandpas. I'm like, I have all these people who I looked up to my entire life, and not one of those assholes prepared me for what marriage is and what, like, hey, Daniel, just want to set you down a second, talk to you a little bit about what to expect when uh, you've been married for two years, and then seven years, and then you know, 10 years or like my grandparents, my grandpa's case, they both, they both hit their 50 year, uh, wedding anniversary before they died. So like not one man. So it's going to be my goal in life. My goal is to break the cycle of uneducating men about marriage. And I am going to tell my sons what to expect and what to, what to do, uh, what, what I feel they should do. But do you, do you know why they never did that to you? Because they're fucking mad that no one ever told them. That's what I'm Cause guessing. Because you, you wouldn't have believed it. Yeah, you're probably right. That's a good answer. Oh, hey, well, how old were you when you got married? I was 30. I was 31. Yeah. So if you went back to 31-year-old Dan, you were like, hey. Here is this absolute shitstorm that's rolling your way. It's not going to get here for a decade. Yeah. But trust me on this. It's coming. Drive your truck <laughs> until the gas runs out and then take a long forest gump type walk back home. You'd be like, there's no way that's happening. Yeah, there's no I'm way different. it's that bad. There's no way it's that bad. Uh, I love my family, though. I do. I love them. But, man, it's it's a struggle being married it's a struggle being a father um let me ask you a question about just who you are and the household that you live in you have two twin daughters you have a wife what is your patience level like like and what how long is your fuse and how long does it take for that fuse 
to hit the TNT. This is so short, man. It's so I, short, yeah. I am just an absolute walking contradiction because yeah. I'll tell you one thing I'm real cocky about in my life right now is I am a patient hunter. Yeah. Like I I feel like I've hit a spot where if I find something where I'm like, this this is the place or this is the standard, this is the blind, I can go all day, mm-hmm. no problem. Like you give me multiple all day sits or whatever, I'm elk hunting, whatever. I feel like on that side of my life, I'm crazy patient right now. Maybe more disciplined and patient than I've ever been with anything at the opposite end of the spectrum. So maybe this is, maybe there's a psychological thing here, but maybe that pulled away any like remaining patience from my regular life because my fuse is pretty short and it sucks. And I, it's like part of it is some of the stuff like, so we, we have just like a normal split level house. I'll give you an example of what sets me off. Just small three bedroom, two baths, normal type suburb house, whatever, right? So you know how an entryway is on a split level, it's small. Mm-hmm. You either go downstairs, you go upstairs. Yep. Well, when you go upstairs in our house, you know, you go up the stairs and then you know there's a hallway, kitchen, living room, whatever. But there's like the the hub of travel. Like if you yep. were gonna hunt us, you would set up right at the top of our stairs because everybody's funneled through there every which way. Mm-hmm. And my wife and my kids will leave their shit there. It's like they're trying to block the one place we all have to walk through <laughs> all day long. And I'm like, that, there's that. It's driving me freaking crazy. And then my wife has got into this habit of just throwing her stuff on my side of the bed. So if she comes home from work and she's got like a Tupperware from lunch or whatever, I'll go to bed at night and I'll be like, why is there a Tupperware like pushed onto my side of the bed. Like mm-hmm. if I come in, you know, you never know how you're going to enter the bed. Like you might come in real hot and do a flying, you know, karate kick or something and yeah. land in there, or you might sneak in. But I'm like, if I come in the wrong way and there's glass Tupperware on my bed that blends <laughs> into the comforter, you could fucking kill me. And I would never, I would never do that to somebody. Like, I would never be like, here's my stuff. I don't want to deal with this right now. So I'm going to push it two feet over and just leave it for you to deal with in a place. I know 1000% you're going to be there today. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. I got I got a couple of those things that like they're 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 like pet peeve. They're more pet peeve things, but they're pet peeves with logic behind them. Like, here's why. I, I get a little upset when this happens, but I do what most men do and swallow that deep inside till it turns to absolute rage and starts affecting my health. Uh, <laughs> but um, one thing in our house is like the kids, man. And I understand this is just parenting, but I have a very, I, 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 I have a very long fuse. I'm, I feel like I'm a very patient father, but then when it is time, I am on, I'm a mass, mass, dest- I'm a weapon of mass destruction. Like the neighbors can hear me. Like when I go off, my house is shaking. Uh, there's a good chance I'm throwing some shit, but it usually takes me three days or an entire week. sometimes an entire month of me just repeating the same thing over and over calm and collective until people just are safe in my presence 
and then the then then they're not safe anymore. If if that makes sense. Uh, one thousand percent. I'll tell you what, man. I have been I have been dividing my time outdoors between taking the kids fishing or taking them scouting deer, bears, whatever. Just being out there. But I've also I also have to just get work done. Mm-hmm. You know. Like, got to get the stands hung you got to get some stuff scouted like there's there's like take kids out and have fun with them but kind of get a little bit done and then there's like mission mode yeah and i've been kind of dividing my time and when i go on mission mode and i'm by myself i'm like i feel so good Mm -hmm. like i'm i have this task i don't have to think about anyone i don't have anybody ticking me off or like getting distracted or whatever and man it is like a real thing Mm -hmm. to just need to be away from everyone and just do something that that works for you it's it's freaking tough man i think all people need that not both i think men and women need that but i think men need it more there's just something like primitive about like a man's needs compared to a woman's needs i'm not a woman never been a woman and so i i maybe i'm wrong there but that's just an that's an assumption the um i like how you needed to point that out yeah yeah in case anybody was wondering wondering yep you know it's 2023 man shit you weren't a woman earlier you were (laughs) always a dude nope always a dude if you you couldn't tell um here's something that i struggle with on a yearly basis and my wife has literally admitted this to me she says she's she's told me that she resents me because she has to work a regular job while I get to do what I absolutely love every single day. Talk hunting, talk the outdoors, get to go hunting, get to go fishing. Shit, it's uh, noon on, or it's two o'clock on a Tuesday. I think I'm going to go shoot my bow for an hour, right? I get to do whatever I want, whatever, whenever I want to do it for the most part throughout the day. And she doesn't, and she, it, it, I, I think it, it pisses her off. And in, in some worlds, I would just assume that person to be happy for me. But she admits, like, she's like, hey, man, it pisses me off sometimes. Or, or that's not the exact word. The exact words were, I guess I resent you because you get to, you get to do what you love. Yep. I know exactly what you're talking about, buddy. Yeah. It, and it it's uh well it's because you spend all of your time hunting and fishing and having fun mm-hmm. and not running a business or doing any work yeah exactly so there's a disconnect there like maybe i need to like just be more vocal with her about what i'm actually doing right and and being like okay today i'm actually doing spreadsheets and i'm actually doing copy and pasting or I'm actually, you know, shopping for web designers or whatever the case may be, you know? And, and so I don't know on top of that. Okay. This is the shit that's getting, starting to get tricky. And I know you're going to, you're a rookie at it. I'm a rookie at it. And that is maturing daughters. Yep. Nice reaction. Nice reaction. And what I mean by, and and I'm going to just be blunt here, maturing daughters, my daughter is now 10, she'll be 11 in February, 
and your girls are about to turn 12? 12 in December. 12 in December. So now we're starting to get into this stage of life where it's it goes past sassiness. Now we're dealing with hormones. Okay. Yep. And I I honestly don't know how to handle that shit. Me either. Like me, me, me either, especially now that I don't drink. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what to do. Heroin? Like, I don't know. I'm just going to uh, self-medicate with uh, narcotics uh, until this stage in your life is over, which it, from, my, from what I've seen, it never ends. Listen, that's always a, a solid option because nobody ever loses control of that. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What you, like, I, I, it is crazy. Like, so she will, my daughter will, I'll say, go do something. And there's some days where she'll be like, dad, come on, dad, please. Still act kind of childish. And then there's other days where she, where she will start to debate me. And her debating is getting so good. I can, in my head, I'm going, well, maybe I am the asshole in this situation. And then I shake my head. I'm like, no, I'm your dad. And you got to do it because I said so. You got it. Get out of here. Go do it. Right. And then she gets mad and cries. And so, <laughs> like. I don't know. I don't know what is going to be harder if being a husband is harder or being a father to a daughter is going to be harder. Cause I honestly, it's been smooth sailing with my son so far, right? Uh, they're, they're just assholes. And then I call them assholes. And then they're like, ah, and then I'm like, Oh, and then we're like, Oh, Hey, you want to go shoot some hoops, bud? Yeah, let's go do it, dad. You know, like they're awesome. But my daughter, she will hold a grudge against me for periods of time. Yep. Psychological warfare, man. Yeah. They're good at it. Very good at it. All right. Well. <laughs> it sounds like it's time for some therapy, dude. Yeah, I know, right? You are my therapy right now. You. This is how I get off my chest. Actually, here's a conversation. So, a while back with uh, Aaron Blisey from the fall podcast. Okay. We had one of these conversations before we started recording one of the fall session episodes. Um, and it like man to man where we were going through some of the same issues. We got into detail about it. And this is the truth. I feel like every man, and I know men don't like to talk about their emotions and, and men don't like, you know, they got to be tough and stuff like that. But honestly, it's okay if you're like that because the world has gotten to this point with that. But I feel like if you had a buddy just to, just to vent to, who, who you guys don't even have to solve any problems. The guy could listen to you, bitch, and he could then just say, I understand what you're going through. And that's it. Yep. Dude, that, like, I got a whole bunch of shit off my chest and I felt good. So, I, I, yep. I mean, that's like half the reason for going fishing or pheasant hunting mm -hmm. or deer hunting with your buddies is just a bitch and get it out of your system. And yeah, yeah. I I think the 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 hunting culture in North America was probably built around some of that. Like, what we don't know about the history books aren't telling us is that 
sustainable farming happened way before people even started hunting. <laughs> and, and the only reason hunting became popular or is even a thing is because Indians got fed up with their wives and were like, hey, dude, you want to go run some buffalo off a cliff? Yeah, let's go do it. <laughs> and then they're like sitting in their teepee and they're like, well, guess what, honey? I'm going to be gone for a few days. Yeah. Buffalo back and it yep. just becomes. It's come, tradition. Yep, it's become a tradition. It's become a problem. We got to go take care of it. So, all right. <laughs> Rewriting history books, one podcast at a time. <laughs> Hard pivot now. Uh, <laughs> let's start talking about hunting because, hey, do you remember the last time? I think it was the last time I talked to you. Um, I we started talking about scouting. So, you know, some summer scouting, you said you had some scouting that you had left to do. Um, I said that I have zero trail cameras. Out. I, like a while ago, I said I had zero trail cameras out. Ask me how many trail cameras out that I have out today. How many trail cameras do you have out, Dan? I have zero trail cameras out. Mm -hmm. So I feel extremely behind. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit pissed at myself that like I, I've, I've made the excuse that I tell everybody not to use, right? So my, my mission has been, it, you can always find time to go do something. If you can watch TV, you can find time to go do something. If you, if you have time to just stop and relax for throughout the day, you can go do something. And so I haven't done that. I, ha I haven't followed through with my own mantra and uh, I am, I, I'm getting slow. I'm slowly getting angry about it. Why don't you go out into the woods and get some cameras up? I know. I know. Anything I say from this point on is just an excuse. So if I said <laughs> um, my farm is hour and a half and three hours away, right? I can't. I can't. That's just an excuse, right? I'm sure yeah. there's there has been, have been days. I'm sure I get to do whatever I want so I can go set my work schedule up. Yeah. yeah. So I should go do that. But at the same time, <laughs> we just bought a pontoon boat. And I don't know if anybody's ever owned a pontoon boat before, but they're fun, man. Like, I love cruising in a pontoon boat. So you're just doing different stuff. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Do you think the reason that you haven't got those cameras out and been as, as diligent with that is because you know it probably doesn't change the outcome of your season a ton? Yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a, a, a great point. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, th I think, I think we don't talk about that a lot. Like I've, I've got a, a good buddy of mine. We're actually sharing a lease this year and the lease is just good. Like mm -hmm. it just, it's always got big deer and actually gets better as the gun season opens up and deer get pushed in there. And I see him, he doesn't have to scout super hard there because he knows what's going to show up. And he knows if he puts his time in the right way, there's no reason to go out and blow him out or booger him up or whatever. He's, he's kind of got the formula for that spot. So it's just easier to hunt yeah. and he's got it figured out. And so you could look at it and be like, well, man, he's taking the easy way out because he's not doing all this work, but he's actually just working smarter. Like, you know, and I, so I think, I think sometimes that happens where you get to a point where you like either learn a spot or you just get to a stage in your hunting where you know what you need to put in and what you don't. Right. Sometimes, you know, you think you have to be doing stuff all the time or have to get 25 trail cameras out there. But in the back of your mind, you know, I probably know where to go and what to do this season for the most part. You know, it might be a difference of who's living out there and who should I target. 
but I think we kind of get to a space where we know a lot of what we need to do. And so some of the extra stuff just sort of falls away. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love knowing what deer are in the area. Like I, I should say, I, I, I was going to say getting velvet trail camera pictures. What is one of my favorites, but I think I should change that sentence to was one of my favorites because if it was really important to me, I feel like I would have done it already. And and honestly, the, the more I think about it and the more the years go on, it's more to the point where, it, like, trail camera images just aren't important to me until they shed their velvet and they start getting into this early season routine where there's a redistribution of bucks and and the, the, the food sources change a little bit. You know, the, 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 especially in ag country, when the corn goes hard, then things will you know then it, then it kind of changes when the acorns are dropping when the velvet strip and so it's just it's just an importance level do you, i mean do you do you have trail cameras out right now i do but i i have uh i'm filming a, a show in minnesota on the opener so i'm starting on the 16th and then i'm taking my daughter to wisconsin for bear and deer right after that so i have in the middle of september i have like 10 days in a row where i need to be on something okay. and so i i've got stuff out right now but i'm i was thinking when you were talking i'm like my my best strategy for trail cameras probably would be to put them all out on september one yeah. and use that two weeks to get information because like you said there's there are things changing and you can see this i mean i, I i've hunted you know, a couple states where I used to focus on velvet bucks and like September one openers a lot, man, you can watch those deer change in real time from day to day when you're, you know, if you're glassing them out West on a river bottom and, you know, they go from velvet to hard antlered and sometime in the first 10 days of September, things change. Right. And that buck, you know, like in, in a lot of places when you're, if you're running cameras or you're glassing that time of year, when they go velvet to hard antlered, if you see them hard antlered doing something, then it's time to get excited. Yeah. Like that, then it's a different deal. Yeah. How long is that? Have you ever been able to identify how long that period of, t of time is from when they go out of their velvet routine, they strip their antlers and then go into, you know how they say, they say, uh, summer pattern versus fall pattern. And there's a, there's a switch there, but I've never heard anybody kind of dig into the details of velvet pattern versus hard horn pattern. Do you see, do you see a big shift, um, in let's say bucks in general when that, you know, when that ha happens and goes down? Not in general, but in specific bucks. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a total, at least in my experience, it's a total crapshoot on who's going to stick to that summer pattern mm -hmm. once they go hard, hard antlered versus who's going to just bail or who's going to show up. It feels there. It just feels like there's a shuffle out there yeah. and some of them stick to it. Some move out, some come in and things just change, you know, and it, and it's, it corresponds with, like you said, the food sources are changing too. Some places you've got brows coming on strong. Some places you've got mast coming on strong. Yeah. It's just a, it's a different thing. And they're figuring out who's top dog then. I mean, if yeah. you start, if you start looking at even images right now, or I I've watched some bucks recently over in Wisconsin that are, they, they want to fight. 
yeah. they're in velvet, but you can see them. They want to fight and they're just, they can't, they won't risk it yet. Yeah. And so, you know, there's just all these things that change. So it's like, who makes it through that shuffle and is still, you know, like in play. Yeah. And I think, I think we don't, I, I don't think we understand 3% of what actually goes on maybe in the first Maybe from like August twenty fifth to September fifteenth would be that like yeah. the biggest window you'd get. But the first t- ten days of September, that shit changes. Yeah, I dude, I I agree a hundred percent. I I'm not sure. All I know is that there there is a redistribution of of deer to home ranges, and usually on on my main farm, I haven't been able to uh, pinpoint it quite yet on the new farm that I have. But on the main farm, there, there, there's a ton of deer. I mean, a ton of really big deer in the summer. And if I was to base all my, uh, you know, everything off of just summer trail camera pictures, I would say, oh, my God, I'm going to have, you know, three booners on my property. All, all you know, it, it's going to be amazing. But then I start really paying attention into um, – trail cameras that are on travel corridors or pinch points throughout that period. And those bucks just disappear. Now I'm not saying all, all of the big antler deer disappear, but there is a redistribution. I feel like they stop being friends. You, you mentioned it, they fight. And then there's an, like, this is my turf. Now you go have turf over there or some deer will leave and then go establish turf somewhere else. And so, um, I just, I, I would love to see, have you, have you seen those collared deer uh, little maps where they show the dot moving all over the year and then in November hits and it just, you know, it goes all over. I wish I had that type of data on past deer just to see what they did, man. Yep. Well, that's, you know, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot. Like even like my most reliable bucks that I've ever found that I'm like, I'm going to go kill that deer opening night. They're not super consistent yeah like they're, they're they can be pretty consistent but it's i'm never like 1000 percent confident i'm going to go in there and they're going to be there because it, it's often enough where they're not you know it's kind of like a rut hunt mm-hmm. where you're like this is the best funnel on the property it's november 5th i'm going in here and it's going to happen and then some days you just have a terrible hunt and you're like yeah. i don't i don't know why don't pull them away whatever but there's there's just a lot to it that we don't know and that that immediate preseason situation gets pretty squirrely, but it's also fun. I mean, it's like when you see somebody stick around or somebody new show up, it's, I don't know, man, I, I like that stuff a lot. Yeah. So you mentioned, I believe it was in, in the last episode that you had some scout, you were in, you were getting ready to go do some scouting. And then before we started recording, you said you've been scouting your balls off lately. So yep. Talk to me a little bit about where the like where this scouting took place and why you're focusing on these areas. You know, uh, part of it's been in southeastern Minnesota um, on a couple of private places where I'm just trying to find a good one that I can kill early. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying, you know, so that's like a everybody knows that, right? I'm on alfalfa, I'm on beans, water where I can find it, like. Yeah evening sit stuff but i'm also devoting some time to figuring out some morning spots because i don't want to i don't sit out mornings and so i'm like these deer that i'm finding 
is there a way to sneak in and kill them in the morning? And so that's that's kind of like more of what I'm focusing on for scouting because it's harder to figure out than just like, okay, there's bucks coming out into the beans. Where do I got to set up to kill them? Right. You know? And then the other thing is I've been in north central Wisconsin a lot and I've got a couple different goals there, right? Like the girls will be hunting some of our private stuff. And I'm like, I just want to find two patternable bucks of whatever size that I could get them on. In addition to some of the bear stuff we've got going on, but I'm looking for, I I finally have a window uh, for the last couple of years. I haven't been able to do it because I've had to film, but this year I can hunt up there on my own. You know, like I don't have to worry about that BS. And so I'm like, where can I find a big one on public up there? So I'm kind of doing, I'm kind of all over the map and it's, Anything that I've hunted up there in the past and killed bucks on, on public, private has changed because that winter last year, it's, it made the woods so gnarly and so difficult to get through that like any travel pattern I might've had before, which is usually what I'm hunting in that, especially in that big wood stuff, it it has totally changed. So it's like walking into a new woods that's 10,000 times harder to walk through than it was last year. And what was the reasoning for that? Like, uh bunch of tree kill or something like that no it was it was super heavy snow last year like any if you go into the woods uh it's like all the little poplar trees are bent over like u-shape right back to the ground but they didn't die so it's like they wow. grow you know what i mean so they're they're leafed out on the bottom and then it knocked down tons of trees tops of pine trees whole trees and so it's like a different world out there. It's really hard to describe, but when you walk in there, it's like, a, it it sucks. Yeah. It's so different. And so I know uh, there's going to be some edge stuff. There's going to be some patterns that I, like, I have to figure them out now because yeah. what I counted on before, like, you know, if you had an old logging road that healed off of some bluff or something like that, it's like, that probably won't be what they're using anymore. Yeah. And so part of it's kind of fun because it's like a new challenge, yeah. but part of it is frustrating. Yeah, I believe that, man. So we had a uh, a big derecho come through Iowa several years ago, and it it just broke trees. It knocked down. I mean, it knocked everything out. If it, if if the tree limb was even questioned, you know, in question in in strength, it was coming down. Big trees tipped over, you know. And so the first year, it was just like a lot of deadfall. But now all that sunlight's getting to the forest floor and the, the property used to not have trees in it. It used to be um, not all of it because there are some pretty mature trees in there, but it used to be more cattle pasture where it was all cattle ground. And so that, that sunlight got on there. And so now it's just a multi-flower rose and honeysuckle just nightmare basically but i will say this man i don't care if some of that stuff is invasive deer love hanging out in it and and again i had to i had to i lost the property ultimately but the the goal was to just to try to find the new edge try to find the thickets that they were bedding in try to find where they're crossing into the ag and uh again it was it was frustrating for me because I put all my time and energy into this landscape that has now changed. And so it's starting from scratch. 
Yeah. <clears throat> it's all, there's always something like that. Yeah. Um, hey, can we back up a second? Because you said something earlier that I was gonna I was gonna comment on, and I forgot. Yep. When you when you talked about um, having that property where your summer pictures, you know, you're covered in bucks, but you know by the time your October one open opener happens down there, things are gonna be totally different. Right. Like the the, vel- the velvet pictures that you get don't necessarily do you a whole lot of good mm-hmm. by the time you on them. Yep. I I don't think a lot of hunters think about that especially if you if you hunt a small property so as an example i just got permission to hunt 25 acres by my house and i thought that i've been kind of toying with this thing a while and i didn't think it was going to happen and it did happen and i got to walk it with the landowner and i know that doesn't sound like very much but in the suburbs it's a huge win for me it's like seven minutes from my house it's got plenty of deer and turkeys and so anyway we're, we're walking through this place and he like i'm like oh is there water here And he's like yeah i'll show you the pond and there's a, there's a bunch of cool features there, but I started looking around and I know kind of the general area. There's like a sod farm next to it. And then there's an actual farm with some ag on it to the north. And I was talking to the landowner and he was telling me about the deer he sees now. And it's all does and fawns. And I'm like, I bet you don't see too many bucks in here throughout the summer. And he's like, we never see bucks here in the summer. Yeah. It's not until like mid-October. And it's because those bucks are summering, you know, in, the, in that situation, five properties over, even though they're only, you know, half a mile to a mile away. Yeah. But if you if you were running, I don't have any cameras out there yet, but if you were running cameras there, you'd be like, this place sucks because right. there's no bucks here. Right. But guess where they're going to go when the people start hunting those farms, the leaves start falling down, the crops are getting picked. They're going to be like, we're going to a safe place that is these smaller parcels that somebody lives on and a lot of them don't get hunted. And so that goes both ways. So if you're if you're doing a lot of scouting out there right now, and you're, especially if you're limited to a small property, a lot of times what you see now is not what you get during hunting season. Yeah. You know, a lot of people talk about pressure and how pressure affects um, deer and, and their behavior and all that stuff. But I think there's also something natural, if that's the word, that happens with deer when fall starts to get here and even in a in a very low pressure state on low pressure properties like here in iowa compared to other places like i i i see just deer in general becoming more aware of their surroundings in the fall and maybe it's just something that that's been taught to them for gener you know just generations of hunting and, and watching a doe go well the air's getting cooler. That means it's hunting season. However a deer thinks, I you know, I don't think they think like that. But just watching their, because yesterday I sat and I watched, which I'm going to say is a 150-inch 10-pointer right off the road, mill around in this CRP field at about 70 yards from me. And he just looked up at me, and then he kind of went back to feeding, and he looked up at me, and then he, he ultimately walked off. But... My experience is if that happened to me in October, gone, regardless of the hunting pressure around. Yep. So I don't know. I don't know what that means per se, but it, it's definitely something to to think of when when you start talking about pressure and if that's the case. I just think certain deer are are more um, are more jumpy than others. Well, and I th- I think when you look at a situation like that, though, it's very hard to imagine 
So you think, okay, you see that deer on a place that doesn't get hunted and you know it, right? Yep. And so you're, you're like, wow, he's really calm now, but he wouldn't be in October. Why? Yeah. And it's like maybe half of his half, half of his home range might be on a place that gets hunted. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you don't, you don't really know, but they also do just seem to get less tolerant. And I think this is a totally wild theory, but when I, when I do a lot of photography in the summer, especially in Northern Wisconsin, you know, you're driving down a gravel road and you see a deer on the edge of the road, you pull up there so often they just jump into the woods and they stop five, 10 yards in there and they stop and look regardless of size. And it's like, they just know they're in the cover and they're probably not as visible. And I think that in the summer, they're just more confident. Like I can just get away. Like if, if he gets out of the truck, I can get into cover in a heartbeat, three bounds and it's over. They don't have that same feeling once the leaves fall and things get a little more open. But I, dude, I think we just don't, I think we don't understand their daily lives at all. Like I was, I was listening to one of Rogan's podcasts the other day where he was interviewing a dude who spent a ton of time in the jungle in the, in the rainforest in the Amazon. And he was talking about uh, anacondas and they're studying them and how they operate in that world. And he was, he said something about how older anacondas sometimes figure out where the salt licks are in the jungle. And then they go there and they wait for peccary or something or something to come in and you think about a snake learning in i don't know how big their territory is no clue but they learn where a little you know natural mineral lick might be and understand that if i go there and i wait these animals are going to show up and so that's like part of their hunting ground then you think about a deer and what they know i don't think we have a clue what's really going on out there well i i think that's more binary with uh how they think or, or senses Right. So if they smell something or taste something, they know they can they can identify things that we can't. Right. They can't lick the dirt sure. and go, hey, is this uh, is this going to be where other animals that I can hunt go? What they've done is and this is it's like conditioning through just uh, just, re, you know, repeating the same thing or or finding success um, over and over and over again. And that so uh, the polar bear. I, uh, I listened to a, uh, a a scientist talk about a polar the polar bear, and what happened was, and this is through, like there there used to not be polar bears thousands and thousands and you know whatever whatever you know throw a number out there, but what happened was is that one time a brown bear more than likely gave birth to a white baby. Not, al- not necessarily albino, but it had a lighter skin color. Well, as that lighter skin color or a lighter fur color, um, it was able to hunt more and it got more success. So it was able to reproduce and pass it to genetic on over and over and over again. So it had white babies. And then guess what? Those white babies um, started becoming more successful to eventually an area that's probably snow covered. These, de- these bear are becoming better predators meanwhile the all of the uh bear that had brown had to go somewhere else to find success hunting and so that's just how basically what he was doing is explaining how genetics works and and how it played its role in evolution it's natural selection man natural selection (laughs) there's so so many examples of that out there there's a, I know that people get all worked up over this and like evolution's a theory, 
It's like not in the way that you're saying it. Like yeah. it's we it's been proven a million times over in different ways like that. And they I mean we what I don't want to get into trouble here, but it drives me crazy that we we could fight against the argument for natural selection and say there's no proof like like that. Mm -hmm. And yet we we accept without question that I can artificially select for certain traits in dogs and in five or 10 generations give you a dog that's totally different than I started with that that exhibits the genetic traits that we want for. You know, and then you think, well, like nature can't do that. Like nature's not forcing those. Like, of course it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that man, man has the ability to shorten that time frame. What could take a thousand years can be done in, you know, like breed. I mean, I'm not a hundred percent sure on this, but I really think that the way genetics works and how they have it, if you want to spend the money, you can take a sperm and you can take an egg and you can break it down and look at genetics, the genetic coding of it and say, I want this baby to have blue eyes. I want it to have blonde hair. I want it to be lean in, um, lean in body makeup. And I want it to be six foot eight. You know, I think they have the ability to do some of that stuff now. They're working on it. And it, yeah, they're, they're working on that in a whole bunch of different ways. I, I interviewed a dude for my dog podcast who is like an at-home CRISPR enthusiast with his dogs. And there's like a whole kind of underground culture of people who are trying to do that with their pets, Yeah, which is, which is wild. And not government funded, not with <laughs> you know, multi-million dollars worth of resources. It's pretty wild. I mean, dude, I, I just, uh, I, it's not out yet, but... Um, I've got a foundations episode, a wired hunt foundations episode out or coming out called uh, creepy crawly cuddle puddles. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but one of the things that I researched for that was uh, ancestral phobias. You know, whether you you're scared of snakes or spiders or what, what is the heights? What is the thing that really uh, does not work for you? Yeah. And they've done, they've done research on this with mice where they will expose mice to a cherry blossom, which has a very distinct smell and a stressful situation. So it didn't, it didn't like a panic inducing situation. So it didn't, it didn't specify what that was, but I'm assuming it could be anything from showing them a video of a snake to, you know, putting a, something that they would be scared of. Right. While there's this um, olfactory uh, situation going on with the cherry blossom, and then they test cherry bro- like how do they what's their metabolic response like the the offspring to smelling cherry blossom so okay i see where it, you're going with this yeah these mice have babies that have never been exposed to the panic inducing thing that their parents or grandparents were exposed to but what's their response to smelling that cherry blossom and for generations it's straight fear wow which is freaking wild right but you think about why i hate spiders i yeah. hate them yeah like they're my thing why why do we have those i'm not i live in minnesota dude <laughs> i don't have their spiders are generally not a threat to me at all yeah in any way i think that shit's fascinating yeah well and 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 that all comes back to deer hunting these these deer are learning they're adapting they know like 
maybe maybe it is stress related portions of the fall that in vitro these you know these these animals you know they're they're getting chased all through their their first trimester of their you know, for the most part they're struggling the first trimester and so when that you know when that stress continues on certain times of year every single year like like you said they're going to be able to figure that out it's going to get passed down to generations and and it's almost like okay i can smell the difference in the air it's time to start getting worried a little bit more about things well i i think about that stuff if you take like uh that that northern wisconsin i keep talking about they've got you know bears bobcats coyotes and people essentially well some wolves too depending on where you're at but i'll bet you even though they might not be able to acknowledge it very well those deer understand when bears are a threat versus when people are a threat yeah no like if it's if it's june and those fawns are on the ground the number one thing they got to worry about are bears yeah if it's november you know if it's thanksgiving weekend the number one thing they got to worry about is six hundred thousand gun hunters out there (laughs) i I bet i bet they're aware that stuff's coming right right yeah so after that side conversation (laughs) um what else are you doing right now other than heavy scouting to prepare for the upcoming deer season uh you know shooting yeah. uh staying in shape working out a lot just uh oh, yeah. just trying to transition sort of into the mode the fall mode you know and a, and a lot of it is you know how this is a lot of it is just okay i gotta come to grips with my schedule i gotta get that shit laid out because somebody's got to watch the kids somebody's got to get them to school when i do this when i do that and so a lot of it's just like this mental thing where you're like, okay, on this trip, I need this camping gear on this trip. I need this, like, this is going to be the timing. Like, what am I going to, what am I going to focus on the timing of this trip versus this one? Or if I don't kill a bear or Lila doesn't kill a bear or whatever, right away, like, how do we, how do I work this into my schedule to make sure we have our best chance before that season closes? Yeah. And so a lot of that stuff for me is just thinking about it. Like how do how do I make this work the best way I can and be as efficient as possible when I know there's yeah. a million variables that can screw up my plans? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, man. Um, you you brought up fitness. <laughs> I was thinking about this as as a topic of conversation because I know you work out a lot. I work out a lot. What would you do if you couldn't like? How would you change if you couldn't work out anymore? Well, I would change for the worse yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I would, I would, at this point in my life, I would always try to figure out a way to make it happen. Yeah. Whether it's something I got to do in the pool or whether it's, you know, at the gym or whatever, however I got to do it, I'm going to keep doing it. And I'll tell you, I had a, I had a situation recently that really opened my eyes because it, my, my thing, you know, as, as bow hunters, we think about like, oh man, what would happen if you were out wakeboarding and you, you know, ripped your bicep muscle off your arm or something like, you know, and bow hunt, like, okay, you crossbow hunt or something like that. But the the fear is like getting an injury where you can't hunt, but an injury where you can't work out to me is the same kind of fear. And I, yeah. 
So I've had I've had this issue. I've felt like I've had a hernia for a long time, and my wife's like, "Yeah, you probably got like a little. You just got to be careful with it." And I've never had a like a real problem with it. I've always had to be really careful about some kind of lifting, like deadlifts and squats and stuff like that, because I could feel it. Yeah. Well, like three weeks ago, I was I was doing abs at the gym, and I was on an incline bench, and I was like halfway up, and I coughed. And that sucker popped. Oh, my God. And I will tell you what. I've had a couple injuries in my life that just went, like, here's straight focus. Everything, everything else is gone. You know, when I when I almost ripped my knackers off on that fence post down in Oklahoma, that was a time where it was, like, everything shrunk down to that moment. Yep. When I felt that pop and I had to push my intestine back in through that muscle, I was, like, whole holy shit and so yeah never had that happen i know it's you want to talk it is it it didn't like it wasn't like overly painful but it was a very uncomfortable feeling oh my very God. uncomfortable oh and my so I, I i can't even remember where i was going with that anyway I, it was a reminder to me and you know my wife's a pt so she's like yeah, yeah dude here's your options and everybody's like well go get surgery and she's like you don't want to get surgery if you don't have to. Like you never want to get cut until you need to get cut. Yeah. Essentially, is her thing. And of course, she's a PT, so she she views it that way. A surgeon would be like, "Come on in, bro." You know, like, yeah. But it's she was like, you have to think about like your breathing when you lift, and you have to think about how you're doing this stuff now. Yeah. And so I've in the last couple of weeks, I've had to like sort of reinvent what I do when I'm at the gym because. I don't want to feel that again. Right. And there's there's times where that happens where the, your guts will get stuck out and pinched off and the blood flow and like it's it can get I, I've learned all about it and it all sucks. Yeah. If you were a pig, we'd just smack your take you by your back legs and smack your head against the barn door and then put you in a burn pile. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got to tell a story about the most pain I've ever been in and. It was, it, it stemmed from a rugby accident. So in rugby, it's like a mixture of football and soccer. So the pace is soccer. The intensity is football, right? So you, I, I got tackled. I, I was running the ball. I got tackled. But a, a guy came up behind me and kind of pushed me sideways. So I was, uh, and, and if you don't know anything about rugby, you once you get tackled, you have to, have to place the ball down. And then a group of your own teammates come, and it's called uh, a ruck, and they ruck over top of, of you and push out the um, they push the other team off of you, and that est establishes this new line of scrimmage. And then uh, a guy will come and pick the ball up. Well, I placed the ball between instead of laying down in a fetal position and then placing the ball and letting guys come over top of me, I was out of position and placed the ball between my legs. And as my teammates came over me, one of them stepped on my genitalia and basically put all their weight, weight on my nuts. And it kind of went like this and it popped and it felt like I got racked and it hurt. But that's not where the pain came. The pain came about two weeks later when I'm uh, working my job, working my college job, and all of a sudden this needle type pain 
And I mean, I want to, you want to talk about someone, you know, a lot of people say, Oh, I felt like I was getting stabbed. This, this hurt more than getting my finger cut off did. And it just, it sent sparks through my whole body. And so long story short, what happened was the vast deference, um, what ultimately gets cut in a vasectomy, there's two layers in it. And so the top layer ripped the bottom layer, the, the inner layer was protruding out of it. It got infected and then <sighs> swollen and everything. So ultimately they ha I had to have the surgery where they pushed that back down in and put a stitch in the top layer. And that my friends was the worst pain I've ever been in my entire life. Mm. Yeah. Gnarly. Gnarly. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> just a lot of, mm. just a lot of side stories. That should be the title of this episode. Yeah. Deer and Genital side stories. <laughs> um, what was I going to talk about before I interrupted and derailed this? Oh, whatever. I mean, Working people out. people are pretty much used to our conversations by now, right? People love them. I mean, all I hear is, "Dude, I love when Tony's on. I love when Tony's on," uh, and and I get these people who are just like, "You're you're so authentic. I really appreciate that." And so, hey, we're authentic humans, buddy. I like it. <laughs> I like it too. Yep. <laughs> so, um. You're, you're, you've done a lot of scouting, but you're also in the process of, is you are now, or you're starting to bait for bears. I'm not yet. Uh, probably in the next two weeks. Okay. All right. Yeah. And it does, you know, where we're hunting is almost two and a half hours from my house Yep. and my buddy, my buddy has land over there. So he's, he's got a tag too. So we try to do every other weekend once we, once we start baiting, cause we can't, we can't bait every day. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just, we, there's just no way to pull it off, but if you can get enough consistency where at least every weekend that food's showing up and they get a little bit conditioned to checking it, yeah. then it, it, it seems to work pretty well, but it's, even have you ever hunted bears? Never. Man, it's a weird deal. You know, that we, we've got guys like Clay Newcomb who's, you know, bears are like his thing. Yep. Uh, yep. They are not my thing. I love baiting them. Like I think, I think that part of the hunt is my favorite part by far when they start showing up and it's just like a, it's a cool feeling walking in there knowing like they, they're not that far away and they know you're there. You know, like I, I just, I like that. I like having a proximity to them cause they're just, you don't see them very often, but hunting them just does not, it is not my thing. Yeah. You know, Jim Shockey had a video once where, he was taking a boat along the ocean out in Western Canada. And then he would find a river that, or a stream that would come off the beach. And then he'd get out and he would walk up those rivers and basically still hunt the, with a bow. He still hunts them. And I thought, dude, that would be so cool. But there's something about like, I don't know. And I've had people, people uh, say it's one of the best you know, it's like, it's, they love it. They love sitting in the tree stand. They love, um, baiting, sitting over bait and, and hearing them come in and you can hear them click and pop and, and roar or whatever it is they do. And they're vocal and things like that. But for me, like artificial bait, like 
maybe if it was a you found a dead carcass in the woods and you're like i'm gonna sit over this because this is my best chance but when guys are bringing like loaves of bread soaked in honey and lucky charms and things like that there's something like i can't talk shit on it because i've never done it but i just don't find that that style interesting at this moment it it's tough man because it, it in so many situations it's really the only way you're gonna do it yeah like it's it's really the only way. And I know everybody's like, who hasn't done it? Be like, well, go find some acorns or something. It's like, it's just not like that. Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, I, I hunt in bear country a lot. Mm-hmm. The amount of bears I've actually seen incidentally from a tree stand is maybe two. Yeah. I mean, it just, it just doesn't happen. And, and that, and that's hunting places where you would think they would be and you're hunting around them. So it's kind of like a necessary evil, but I'm the same way. I like the process. I just don't enjoy sitting there that much over a bait. It just, I just don't. I will say this though. If you do the work and then you're sitting there and you hear one or see one coming in, you forget about that shit pretty quick. And you're like this, it's pretty cool. And for me this year, I'm just excited to get my daughter on the process. Like I, I don't care about myself. Like I'm not, I probably, I, I won't hunt them right away. I'll take her and I just, I don't care about killing one myself that much, but I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying the process of getting her involved. And I know sitting there with her, she's going to lose her mind. So we have a bear or her mind. If we have a bear come in. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Well, it sounds like, uh, we both, I, well, re- really what it sounded like was you got your life together and I don't, um, type of conversation that's a lot <laughs> that's total smoke and mirrors my life is a shit show um but you, you know you you got some scouting you got some bear hunting to look forward to uh man i'm, I'm just i leave for florida on saturday and Ooh. and so when people are listening to this i'll be in florida but then that sunday i'm making like i'm just gonna I'm making it happen. I'm going to go put some trail cameras up and what, Hey, hold on. What's in Florida that you feel the need to head down there in August. Oh, me feel the need to head down there in August. Or you mean the other people? How, how, how did you come to be where you're ending up in Florida in August? Okay. This is how it went. I want to go to Florida. And my response was, I don't care. And, and then she bought the, the hotel and bought the tickets. So we're going to uh, Clearwater, Florida, right on the beach. And we're going to potentially go to Bush Gardens to see, I don't know. The, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in one of these moods about it where I'm going to go and I'm going to have a ton of fun with my family. But I don't, like, I don't care. I, like, it's not necessarily the location, per se. It's yeah. the people that I'll be with. And, and uh I'm okay with it, man. It, it's it's going to be fun. Did, does your wife know that Florida is there in February and March too? Yeah, she does know that. She does oh, know that. Okay. And uh, I think she knows that. Uh, but so, <laughs> we looked at the 10-day forecast. And it's like, and I know it rains in Florida almost every day, just like storms come through. But the, the, the 10-day forecast made it look like it's going to rain the whole time we're down there. And I think mm-hmm. it would be cool is if there's actually a hurricane coming. But I don't think there is. I, I don't know. 
Uh, are you are you going to fish down there at all? Probably not. We you know are going to go on a seashell cruise, though. You know what you should consider doing, at the very least. Okay. Do you own any travel rods that you can pack in your? You should get one and a very limited assortment. Uh, you can find fishing down there, especially in the summer on the beach where there'll be like glass minnows pushed up and there might be tarpon and snook and other stuff close to shore that you can catch. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I have several travel rods. Now we go to Florida every year and man, you can find some good fishing just messing around on the beach or some yeah. of the canals. And it's like a matter of packing just a little bit of extra stuff. And then, then your kids, like, I, I don't know. I would at least consider it because then it gives you an option that's pretty freaking fun. Yeah. It would be cool to catch like a 200-pound Goliath grouper. I would set your sights a little bit lower. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why not a 17-foot great white? Exactly. Just- exactly. exactly. Uh, and so we're, we've we got to play this low-key because my, my boys and my daughter, they've never been on a plane before. My daughter's going to be fine. But my boys, man, they might get a little, you know, come take off and landing or if we have to fly through any type of turbulence, there is a good chance that my oldest boy comes apart. Like, and really? just, yeah, oh, he, he could get freaked out by this whole thing. How old is he? He's eight. Eight. But, yeah. But to be fair to him, he had some PTSD from that deratio that came through. The... I mean, when he saw the tree blow over in the house and he sh- saw the neighbor's uh, uh, lawn furniture basically levitate across our yard, he got really freaked out about that. And he's just now coming out of the I'm afraid of all thunder and lightning stage. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sucks. <laughs> Thanks for the compassion, Tony. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you other than to maybe toss him a quarter of a Xanax when you're in the airport or something. (laughs) He uh, sleeps for three days. Level him out a little bit. He might not care too much. Right, Uh, right. I think if we have our our devices and we have headphones, they should be okay. Yeah, he'll be he'll be fine. Yep. So that's what I'll be doing. I'm looking forward to getting back and deploying the cameras and starting to take intel and do some tree stand work but it's summertime man we're i'm I'm really i don't want to i don't like to rush things but i am looking forward to school starting again so i can start pounding work again and start like just just getting ready with no distractions throughout the day yeah i get that yep tony peterson i appreciate your time today thank you as always and uh we'll talk to you when we talk to you Yeah, buddy. Thanks for having me on. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Huge shout out to Tony. Man, I really appreciate every time this guy comes on. Uh, Like I said, it's really fun talking with him. So kudos to Tony. Uh, Huge shout out to Tethered, Wasp, Vortex, Code Blue, Woodman's Pal, and Huntworth. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. And um, if there is, if you guys have any questions, Uh, about the products or you're looking for a discount code like I have a discount code for Vortex that I can give you 
but you have to go to a third-party website to use it. Uh, so hit me up, or if you have any questions uh, about products that I use or that sponsor this show, hit me up on Instagram. And I think we'll just cut it short there. Uh, good vibes in, good vibes out. And if you're going to be in a tree, wear your damn safety harness. Thank you.